everyone. Pleased to be here at the Foothills Hospital, joined by uh, Health Minister Jason Copping and uh, leaders of Alberta Health Services for a very important announcement about progress that we are making at expanding healthcare capacity in Alberta as we uh, uh, exit the worst of COVID. Uh, it's uh, great to be here as we continue to support, transform, and strengthen Alberta's healthcare system so that it continues to provide top quality care and services to, the, to Albertans uh, who need it, when and where they need it. I am, as I said, I'm here with uh, Minister Copping, uh, but as well Dr. Sid Viner, Vice President and Medical Director of Clinical Operations at Alberta Health Services. I'd like to take this opportunity first off uh, to thank all of the physicians, nurses and staff at the Foothills and in hospitals across the province who are saving lives right now and providing patients and the critical care they need and deserve. You are the bedrock of our health system and have dedicated your lives to protect the lives of Albertans. And that was especially true during the two tough years of COVID-19 in our province and around the world. Now, one thing that we learn in COVID is that the Canadian healthcare system does not have adequate capacity, period, full stop. And we learned in Alberta that that was especially true. When our government took office in the spring of 2019, Alberta had the second highest healthcare expenditures in Canada on a per capita basis. And for a long time, for many, many years, we had been the most or second most expensive health system in the country. And yet, at the same time, we had the lowest per capita number of ICU beds available in the country. So uh, the second most expensive system with the lowest number of ICU beds that did not serve us well through the COVID crisis because during various peaks, we were at risk of running out of uh, ICU capacity. We had to pause and delay surgeries uh, in order to create the surge capacity that we needed to provide critical care uh, to COVID-19 patients at hospitals like this across the province. So there's something profoundly wrong with one of the most expensive systems in the world having such a low number of available ICU beds. The situation we inherited in 2019 and uh, which we ended up taking into uh, COVID a year later in the spring of 2020. Now that is why in this year's budget, Alberta's government announced an additional $300 million over three years to open and fully staff 50 new ICU beds in hospitals across the province. That's part of our $1.9 billion increase in the baseline budget for healthcare in Alberta. And that's on top of the billions of dollars of contingency funding that we gave to our hospitals and health system to cope with COVID. This commitment to meaningfully increase capacity is a big boost to Alberta's health system and part of our promise to add more permanent beds, more staff, and more resiliency so that surge capacity doesn't have to be added during high demand times such as pandemic waves or annual flu seasons when more people typically head to hospital. I'm very pleased to announce today that we have already opened 19 of those 50 additional permanent ICU beds in the Alberta healthcare system, so we're already making meaningful progress. These beds are staffed with new registered nurses, healthcare aides, unit clerks, respiratory therapists, and other allied health professionals who will keep those beds open when needed. And when demand and pressure slows down, there's flexibility to redeploy staff to other areas where needs for care and treatment are higher. We're building a flexible, resilient health system that can expand and contract uh, based on community needs and demand, a system that will be better prepared for any health emergencies that we might face in the future. This is only one of many actions that we're taking to strengthen the health system to increase capacity. Right here at the foothills, for example, uh, we're also adding, adding 11 additional operating rooms to the current 32 ORs. This will allow the, the fantastic nurses, physicians, surgeons, and care teams here at the Foothills who perform over 7,000 surgeries every year on top of the 20, they'll add that number to the 21,000 already delivered. And this is just one hospital. We're expanding operating rooms across Alberta to provide more surgeries and bring down wait times. 
We're providing thousands more publicly funded cataract surgeries in chartered surgical facilities and already have the shortest waits for cataract removal we've seen in years since 2014. We have an action plan to provide more CT scans uh, and MRIs to Albertans so that they can have fa faster access to diagnostic imaging and options. We're significantly increasing funding for uh, EMS to put more ambulances on the street and improve response times. We're opening more than 1,500 new continuing care spaces across Alberta this fiscal year. And this work to transform healthcare and expand our capacity is just part of Alberta's recovery plan to grow our province and create new opportunities. Part of this has to be expanding our healthcare workforce, which we are addressing through the Alberta at Work Initiative, funded by $600 million in this year's balanced budget to, provide, to help to fund uh, targeted seats for in-demand occupations like nurses in our province. We've added uh, 1,800 nurses to the Alberta health system over the past three years, but as we saw through COVID, uh, with many retiring, uh, and aging out of the system, we need to bring even more in. And that's especially true in many of our rural hospitals and health centres, uh, which uh, from time to time struggle with physician and nurse retention and recruitment, uh, which is why we provided an additional $90 million in funding for rural physician retention recruitment and $16 million in this year's budget, as well as through the collective bargaining agreement with the Nurses Association uh, to help with rural uh, nurse recruitment and retention. So I'd like to congratulate Alberta Health Services for moving forward quickly to add these new uh, beds that were funded in this year's budget. Um, it is good news and uh, it, it means that in the future should we face particular stress points, but be it from COVID, the flu, uh, natural disasters, uh, that we will have that additional baseline critical care capacity, meaning that we will not have to resort to postponement of surgeries to deal with um, significant pressure on critical care in the province. And with that, I'm happy to invite uh, Minister Copping to add a few words. Thank you, Premier, and good morning, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here in this space that is currently under uh, renovations and it will be the site of uh, a number of new, uh, new uh, beds and, uh, and hospital rooms. Over the past few weeks, I've been visiting some of the province's hospitals, including the Royal Alex in Edmonton, the Red Deer Hospital and the Foothills here in Calgary. The work that's happening on the front lines is truly impressive and I want to thank all of the physicians, nurses and support staff for their tremendous dedication and for providing world-class care to every Albertan who comes through the hospital doors. Our hospitals are under real strain right now. I see the numbers every day and I hear it directly from the people and the front care, uh, or the, the frontline healthcare workers that I meet. And to put it simply, the hospitals are full up and there are just a lot of new patients at the door every day in emergency. This hospital and others in Edmonton and in, in the surrounding Calgary area have been around 100% occupancy on and off in the recent weeks, and some have been over 100%. Like I've said before, including at my weekly COVID update earlier this week, the pandemic is obviously a big factor in the surge of patients that we are seeing right now. But the reality is our big metro hospitals have routinely run close to 100% in the core units and over 100% at peak times, even before the pandemic. The system needs more capacity, and it needed more capacity long before the pandemic. So we're adding that capacity right across the system from EMS to surgery to continuing care, as the Premier noted. We need to get past the current wave of COVID-19 and get back to normal, but we also need to recognize that the normal we had before, quite frankly, wasn't good enough. We need to do better in terms of wait times and in terms of core capacity so the system isn't strained so severely at peak times, even in a non-pandemic year. ICUs are a key part of that core capacity. They've been stretched too far in the pandemic, but they also see too much strain at peak times, even in what we would call a normal year. That's why Budget 2022 provided $100 million a year to staff 50 new permanent ICU beds across the province. And as the Premier has said, AHS has already opened and staffed 19 of these beds here in Calgary, 
in Edmonton, St. Albert, Grand Prairie, and Lethbridge. That includes nine new ICU beds in Calgary, two here at the Rocky View, two at the South Health Campus, and five at the Foothills Hospital. This hospital now has 12 ICU beds. That will help manage the pressure on all hospitals right now and whenever the system is strained. AHS has plans opening the remaining 31 of the 50 new beds by September, and I look forward to giving more details as we move forward. But let's be clear, right now, today, this is a huge step forward. These first 19 beds are already the biggest increase since AHS was created, and the full 50 beds will be the biggest increase in decades. It's also National Nursing Week, so just a reminder that when we say we're adding hospital beds, what that means is adding the skilled people to staff them, and most of these skilled people are nurses. That applies most of all to ICU beds. Every one of these new beds means 10 to 15 new positions, 250 staff for all of these 19 beds. The health workforce is under pressure in Alberta and across Canada. It's been a very tough two years for our nurses and all of our healthcare staff. So the fact that AHS has been able to staff these beds speaks volumes about the commitment of nurses and other healthcare professionals. And it will help ease the strain on the overall workforce because more permanent ICU beds means less need to, to staff surge capacity when we need it. Nurses are the backbone of our healthcare system and we owe them a huge debt of gratitude. I am encouraged to see that AHS has hired 90% of the nursing grads in the province in the past year. It's a great career and I hope young people will continue to choose it. We promised Albertans a stronger publicly funded health system with better access to care. It's been a tough two years but we stand by that promise and we are going to deliver on it, and we are delivering on it. We're funding more surgeries in hospitals and clinics. We're funding more ambulances and more paramedics to staff them, more home care and more continuing care spaces, and more ICU beds. We're keeping our promise, and there's more, much more to come. So thank you, and I'd now like to call upon Greg Turnbull, the uh, chair of the Alberta Health Services Board. Good morning and thank you, uh, Minister Copping. On behalf of the AHS Board and the staff and physicians of Alberta Health Services, it is an honour to join everyone today for this announcement. It is wonderful to be here to recognise the progress that has been achieved to open 19 of the planned 50 new ICU beds across the province. This accomplishment speaks to the dedicated work, collaboration and partnerships of many teams, clinicians, physicians, leaders, and government. It also reflects our ability to learn and adapt to challenges and to shift from acute pandemic response now to recovery. We know the pandemic has impacted surgical activity across Canada. We are grateful to the patients of all Albertans who had their surgeries delayed as we took necessary steps to ensure our health care system was prepared to respond to COVID-19. We are working diligently to, pre, to recover to pre-pandemic surgical activity as soon as possible and to accelerate the implementation of the Alberta Surgical Initiative, a five-step plan to improve surgery in Alberta. We have already taken significant steps forward in the work of the Alberta Surgical Initiative with new contracts signed with partnering chartered surgical facilities and more on the way. In closing, we are extremely proud of our AHS teams for rising to the unprecedented challenges the pandemic presented. We appreciate those who continue to provide care in the intensive care units across the province and all other healthcare workers 
across our organization. Your unwavering dedication is greatly appreciated, and your ability to rise to these challenges speaks to your commitment to providing the best care possible to Albertans when they need it most. On behalf of AHS and the AHS Board, I offer our gratitude to the Government of Alberta for this important investment in ICU care and to our AHS staff, leadership and physicians for their ongoing work to support and improve patient care. I would now like to welcome Dr. Sid Viner to make a few words. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dr. Sid Viner, Vice President and Medical Director, Clinical Operations at Alberta Health Services. It is my pleasure to be here today to celebrate this exciting announcement for Alberta's intensive care units. The highly skilled physicians and staff in Alberta's ICUs have faced tremendous pressure over the past two years. But like all facets of our healthcare system, they have risen to the challenge through dedication and innovation. On behalf of the executive leadership team at AHS, I would like to extend our gratitude to the Government of Alberta for this very important investment. I would now like to welcome Dr. Dan Zugi, Zone Clinical Department Head, Critical Care Medicine, to make some further comments. Thanks. Good morning. Thank you, Dr. Viner. Uh, on behalf of uh, all of the staff uh, and physicians of our critical care department here in Calgary, and indeed uh, our critical care colleagues uh, across the province, it's an honor to join everyone for this uh, very important announcement. As all of the previous speakers have uh, outlined, our pandemic uh, has placed tremendous strain on our healthcare system. Uh, certainly our entire healthcare system, but uh, in particular our ICU and critical care resources. Despite these pressures, uh, our teams from across the province uh, rose to meet those needs and did everything they could to ensure those who needed uh, care were able to provide it, were able to receive it. During the height of our pandemic, uh, our ICU spaces uh, in Alberta needed to increase from a baseline of 173 beds to 376 beds, over 200% to meet that demand. Uh, this indeed was a Herculean effort, but via these efforts, we were able to provide the critical care support uh, for all who needed it during, uh, during the pandemic. Currently, we're operating 212 general ICU beds across the province, and that uh, includes the 19 permanently funded beds uh, announced today, plus an additional 20 surge beds. Today, there are 162 people uh, in, those, uh, in those 212 beds, so most of them are occupied. So indeed, the addition of 50 new uh, uh, spaces to our baseline capacity is, uh, is wonderful news. Uh, this will provide our ICU's important added capacity and reserve to meet the needs of Albertans with critical illness within the ebbs and flows of ICU uh, demand that happen, uh, happen over time with or without a pandemic. Uh, we're extremely appreciative of all the work of the many teams across the HS family uh, who've worked tirelessly to uh, make uh, the opening of these uh, initial 19 out of 50 beds uh, happen in a timely fashion. Uh, most importantly, to all the AHS uh, staff, physicians, and volunteers, thank you for all you do to uh, support our patients uh, and each other throughout this journey. Uh, again, on uh, behalf of the uh, department here in Calgary and uh, across uh, our critical care uh, community in Alberta, uh, thank you again for this uh, very important investment. It will make a difference uh, in our ability to provide the highest level of care uh, when Albertans need it the most. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. That concludes our formal speaking portion today. We're going to move to the media Q&A. We're going to start with media here in the room. There's a microphone right there for you to ask your questions. When you ask your question, please identify your outlet, who you're directing your question to, and we'll go with one question and one follow-up. Go ahead. Um, 
Hi, I'm Colleen Underwood, CBC News, Calgary. I just had a question. Uh, you mentioned the surgery and you're almost back to capacity. Can you just provide an update on where we are with surgery weights and when we expect to actually um, be caught up? Not sure who could answer that. So I can start the, uh, the answer to that question, then ma uh, maybe ask uh, Dr. Biner to, to provide further commentary. Uh, so uh, right now we're sitting at about nine, like the, the latest numbers are roughly 92% of, uh, of normal capacity. Um, we are seeing the, um, the uh, backlog continuing to, to drop um, over time. Now, now part of that is uh, associated with, you know, we've, we've made tremendous progress, and I think we made an announcement a couple of weeks ago, or we made an announcement a couple of weeks ago on cataract surgery. So tremendous progress over the last year, and that is that is continuing. And that was our, our at one point in time, our single biggest group of, of uh, surgeries for backlogs. Uh, it is now not the largest. Uh, orthopedics now the largest. So we now we are focused on that. Um, you know, the expectation is that we, you know, and our focus is this year to get uh, caught up on the uh, the COVID backlog um, within the next year plus. Uh, make a you know, meaningful impact on you know key areas where they have some of the largest backlogs, like uh, uh, cataract surgeries, you know, ophthalmology, and as well as orthopedics. So, so driving very, uh, very hard on that. Um, there is some risk because even though we're seeing the numbers coming down, you know, there may be, you may we may see another bump up because part of that is is there's a uh, an overhead uh, due to increased acuity, so people weren't seeing their uh, you know their primary care. Uh, family physicians uh, and so there is a backlog so we may see a little bump up but we're, we're, you know we'll have to wait and see how we, we go through that but again you know the answer to your question is we'll get through the backlog this year we're gonna make a meaningful impact on you know which we're already seeing on some key areas like ophthalmology and uh, and orthopedics and then continue to go from there and that's part of the Alberta surgical initiative but uh, dr. Viner if you want to speak a little more on that that would be great As Minister Copping said, uh, you know, currently I think we're doing quite well, all things considered. Uh, you know, we're hitting about 90% uh, or better of our uh, pre-pandemic surgical volumes. Um, um, based on our current planning uh, over the next uh, year, we'll uh, be um, uh, where we were or better compared to pre-pandemic in terms of the wait list, and, and this is ensuring that we're prioritizing uh, patients based on acuity um, and uh, you know their their wait times um, and then uh, within two years after that we'll uh, achieve the um, targets of the Alberta Surgical Initiative which is to have um, less than 10 percent of people having their surgery um, outside of their target kind of the uh, clinically uh, appropriate uh, waiting time. So uh, we've got an aggressive plan. Um, you know, we're uh, moving forward in accordance with plan, and uh, those are the timelines. Do you have a follow-up, colleague? I do. It's for the Premier, but it's about his upcoming trip, so um, I can do it now or after people want to do health Go ahead. Do you want me to do it now? Yep. Okay, okay, sure. Go ahead. Just uh, asking you, uh, as you head to the States, what exactly are you hoping to accomplish? Right. Well, uh, thank you. On the weekend, I'll be traveling to Washington, D.C. to uh, address the U.S. Senate Energy Committee. This is part of the invitation from Senator Manchin during his recent uh, two-and-a-half-day visit to Alberta. It's an opportunity to highlight how much the United States depends on Alberta energy. We are the source of 60% of U.S. oil imports, and very few people... Uh, it, on Capitol Hill under, know that, uh, there is infinitely more focus on OPEC than on Alber Alberta, but Alberta is infinitely more important to U.S. energy security and the American economy. The biggest issue in American politics uh, in recent months has been inflation, the cost of living, the cost of energy in particular. And uh, from the president to both aisles in Congress, uh, American political leadership is uh, laser-focused on how to reduce uh, the cost of energy and uh, the cost of living so much, and in the context of Putin's invasion of Ukraine, this has meant uh, 
that President Biden pleading with Saudi Arabia uh, to produce and ship more lifting sanctions on Venezuelan oil exports and negotiating an end to uh, the embargo on Iranian oil exports. The message I'll carry to Washington is this does not make sense for the United States or for world security to increase dependence on the world's worst regimes, that we need to be partners in North American energy security strategy that gets more reliably produced uh, energy from America's closest friend and ally uh, to the United States to help address the current and future supply shortages. I'll also be sharing the huge progress that we've made on environmental performance, the big reduction in emissions intensity from the oil sands, and our future plans uh, for net zero by 2050 in oil sands production. Again, I think many people in Congress are not aware of uh, the, the big progress uh, we've made and are planning to make uh, in terms of environmental performance. So those would be the key points just to raise awareness about the importance of Alberta to the American economy, uh, to discuss strategies for increasing Alberta energy exports to the U.S., and thirdly, to uh, make sure they understand the, our deep commitment to better environmental performance. Thank you. Go ahead. I should say, in addition to the uh, actual hearing, I'll be meeting with uh, several senior uh, congressmen and senators at the margins of that. Uh, so I'll be there for about two and a half days doing that. Hey, uh, Tim Broke with CTV. Uh, if you want to take this on or if Minister Copping wants to. Um, obviously, beds are just one thing here. I want to know what the plan is for staffing. Yeah. Who specifically are these people who are going to be hired? You mentioned people that can move between ICU, be redeployed if they're not needed there. So who are these people? Sure. Uh, well, I will refer to uh, Jason for details, but you're absolutely... Look, when we say we're cr uh, creating beds, we don't mean literally just the physical space because uh, a bed in an empty room without staff is, is meaningless. So the big challenge here is staff, and that's what we faced during COVID. We went in, one of the reasons we went into COVID with the lowest per capita number of healthcare, of ICU beds, excuse me, in Canada was uh, that we had about 830 um, trained and experienced in intensive care nurses. And that workforce became the key uh, limit, lim limitation on our ability to deliver uh, baseline critical care beds. Um, we made every effort to increase that workforce uh, through the pandemic. We accelerated uh, training for um, regular RNs to get the uh, certification to, to work in critical care. We accelerated certification of nurses graduating from our uh, nurses' colleges. We uh, tried to also recruit ex uh, people who had retired back in. Um, but for every additional person we brought in through the front door, there was somebody retiring. You know, we're facing this demographic challenge across every sector. And there are a lot of uh, nurses who are in the baby boom generation who have done their great service for 30 years or, or more and, uh, and who became exhausted during COVID. And, and so for everyone we brought in the front, there was somebody leaving the system. And so we stayed relatively stable at about 830 um, trained and experienced ICU nurses through the two years of COVID. Uh, but that meant no gain in, in, in baseline beds. So what we're doing now is a big surge in terms of, of that training and recruitment. Hopefully, as the system stabilizes, as we emerge from the worst of COVID, we'll see fewer departures. And I'll invite Jason to talk about further progress being made on the, on the work front uh, side. Thanks, Premier, and, and thanks for the question. So, you know, the uh, the staff that were, that, um, and I'll get Dr. Viner to to add more color if uh, you know in more detail if I don't cover it all. Um, but, you know, the staff that they're hiring for the the uh, the ICUs is, is as the Premier said, is, is going to be permanent staff because we know it's more than just about beds. Uh, there's 250 hired right now. Um, you know, that's getting pulled in. Uh, the vast majority of it actually is being pulled in from already within. Uh, the hospital system, so people are already working and they're applying, they're moving into it. But the, you know, especially when you take a look at nurses, you know, it's highly specialized uh, from uh, you know uh, the training required for for an ICU nurse. Um, but it's testament to you know, as I indicated in my remarks, uh, you know, the thanks uh, to the people willing to step up because this this is a this is a challenging job in the ICU. Uh, so the follow-up question is, okay, so you're pulling within the system, you know, what's the impact on the other system? So we are continuing to hire. You know, I've, I've made references before to 
to uh, you know 1,800 uh, additional nurses, you know February 2020 versus May 2022 uh, that have been hired into the system. Uh, AHS, we've also budgeted uh, for for uh, for the 2,800 positions overall year over year from last year to this year. So hiring is is happening, and, and I can tell you that uh, the number of strategies are are being used to be able to bring on a more like roughly 90% of all grads. Uh, just over 90% of all grads in 21 uh, or the last year for, for nursing have been hired uh, here into uh, into AHS. Uh, they're also doing programs and working with um, uh, students uh, and bringing them in uh, and and having them work within the within the system. They uh, and my understanding was almost all 600 students. Um, that, that we uh, we had in the sort of the major uh, uh, major programs uh, were actually brought in uh, to help during uh, during COVID and, and and one of the advantages of this is that not only do you get real real life training on that but then when it comes time to make a job offer and someone's already here uh, they're likely to be able to hold on to it so we we fully appreciate that you, we are going to need to attract and retain more. Um, you know, very pleased that an agreement was reached with uh, with UNA, and that also includes um, uh, funding to be able to support uh, nurses going to rural areas where there's you know a greater challenge to be able to attract and retain there. Uh, so this is our focus, um, you know, in terms of staffing because we understand that it's people who deliver uh, the service uh, to Albertans, and we need those people to be able to deliver those service. And, and with that, you know, Dr. Viner, if you want to uh, provide one of the comments, uh, just as as he's coming up, and I just wanted to for a previous question, just for for numbers. Um, you know, the, in terms of the wait list. So 70, we're under 73,000 now as of the, uh, the end of, uh, as of the end of, of April. This compares to 76,600 at the start of March. Um, and the peak was 81,600 at the end of Delta. So, so the number is continuing to come down. We're still not where we need to be, which is, you know, um, 68,000, which was, which was, uh, pre COVID. Um, and, and then we're going to drive it further down than that. So just, just for the details on that. Dr. Viner. I think what I would add is uh, it's important to recognize that the staff we need uh, for these critical care beds are doctors, nurses, but also many other health disciplines, respiratory therapists, pharmacists. Uh, um, we need healthcare aides, unit clerks, and uh, you know we're fortunate that uh, our educational institutions in Alberta actually uh, do graduate large numbers of uh, health professionals. We've got other uh, you know programs. Uh, we're creating a program internal to Alberta Health Services to train healthcare aides, for example, who are in uh, uh, relatively uh, um, short supply uh, or very much needed provincially. And, uh, you know, as was mentioned, uh, effort going into looking at internationally trained uh, healthcare staff who um, are in Alberta that uh, may need a bit of additional training or just uh, credentialing. Uh, they may have credentials to work uh, within the system right now. And then uh, international recruitment to the extent that uh, that'll be helpful. Do you have a follow-up to Thanks. Uh, yeah, follow-up is for the Premier. Uh, Different subject completely. Obviously, gas prices are, are back way up. We know you paused the provincial gas tax. Any other help coming, any other relief for Albertans as you look at the prices and, and just inflation? Well, we know people are, are really uh, getting hammered by inflation. Uh, it's at a 35-year high. It's, it's fuel, it's food, it's uh, pretty much everything. And uh, this is... Uh, we, we, Alberta's government has done more than any government in Canada by a country mile to help people with the cost of living. The, pausing the fuel tax is about a $1.3 billion annual savings. When you roll in what we're going to do with the electricity rebate and the natural gas price cap, uh, we're looking at about $2 billion of uh, relief for consumers, which I say is way more than any province where the feds are providing. Um, it, it doesn't look... The reality is that the, the commodity price is going back up, right? So oil is back up to like 107 bucks today, and the prices go up with that. But we are still seeing, there was a lot of skepticism. A lot of people thought the retailers weren't going to pass on the 13 cent a litre savings. I want to thank the retailers. Uh, they, they took a lot of uh, criticism before, but they have passed on the 13 cent savings, and we have by far the lowest gas prices in Canada. We're I think uh, last I saw, we were about 65 cents lower than our neighbors in British Columbia. So um, it's, it's less of a problem here, but it's still a problem. 
So if our fiscal and economic situation continues to improve as a province, uh, we are considering stepping up with additional measures uh, early this summer to help people with the cost of living. Late spring, early summer would be our horizon. Uh, we need to make sure that we are on a sustainable track. We're not going to go back into a multi-billion dollar deficit overnight. Um, so, but if we see continued progress on the fiscal and economic front, uh, we may be in a position to provide other meaningful uh, support to Albertans uh, in the weeks to come. Um, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we, there, there's some, some factors beyond our provincial control. The federal government has run a very uh, high, they've run a very loose monetary policy, basically printing money that has driven inflation. They've also had a, a I would say, reckless fiscal policy um, that has also driven up inflation. So we need to see a federal commitment to getting inflation under control. And we need to see the world invest in more in energy production. So we have the supply to meet future demand. We're not dealing with uh, $1.60 per litre gas. Thank you. We'll take two more on the floor and then we'll go to the phones. Go ahead. Hi, Dylan Shore with Post Media. I'm not sure who this question is for exactly. Maybe a little bit of everybody. But 50 beds, uh, I'm sure it's welcomed by most people in the province, but is this enough? Where does this put us? As you said, we were below the lowest, I believe you said, yeah. in ICU per capita. Is this enough, especially given the, the cost of the beds? Well, I, I'll t take a stab at that and invite Dr. Viner to uh, offer his clinical view. Uh, this is very, I know 50 actually doesn't sound like a lot, 50 in a province of 4.5 million people, but it, it's a lot compared to the 173. That's been our baseline since AHS started uh, does 12 years ago. So this is, as uh, Minister Copping said, the, the largest increase, actually the only increase in the number of baseline ICU beds since AHS came into being, and the largest increase in, that we can see in Alberta health history. So this is a big deal. Because just think about the staffing ratios here. You need about five staff. Uh, it depends on the situation, but 3.5 to 5 staff for every ICU bed. And, you know, we've had 830 ICU nurses to staff, for example, because they're, they're not all present on the same shift at the same time. You, we needed 830 uh, ICU nurses to staff 173 baseline beds. So what would this... Overall, increasing by 50, the complement of baseline permanent ICU beds represents hundreds of additional healthcare workers. And uh, these are many of the highest paid uh, people with their, with their specialties. So this is a significant investment. I think it will take us to above average in terms of the number, uh, the per capita number of permanent ICU beds once this is done by September. Dr. Viner, um, tell us why you recommended the number 50. So what we did actually in landing on the number of 50 as we looked at uh, both through pandemic and historically um, the occupancy in the different ICUs across the province, we looked at uh, the need to transfer patients. We do work as a provincial healthcare system, so both at a zone level and provincially uh, during pandemic in order to optimize the use of all of our ICU beds, all of our critical care resources. We uh, would either transfer patients or uh, direct patients who might be coming in through, uh, um, you know, STARS or, uh, you know, into a major regional urban center uh, to, to a site that, uh, um, you know, had the most beds. So based on Historical occupancies, uh, transfers in and out, projected future demand. Yeah, we're pretty comfortable that the 50 beds will, will meet the need. Um, would also note that in addition to the uh, what we call general systems ICU beds, we have additional critical care beds for specialized uh, patient populations. So patients, for example, who undergo cardiac surgery um, pretty well routinely will require an ICU bed. So... Uh, these bed numbers are in addition to other critical care beds that exist in the province for other types of specialized care. You have a follow-up, Dom? Yeah, this one's for the Premier as well. And uh, again, apologies, but it's off topic. Um, recently, there's been two validators used in press releases to, to I guess, approve of policy changes 
they've then gone on to sort of criticize the amount of information that they were given or say that more information was needed on changes. Um, you look a little confused. So Diabetes Canada was one of them, and then the uh, Pregnancy and Infant Loss Center was another one where they sort of came out and said that more information was needed. Given these, these about faces, does the government need to assess how much information they're giving to different stakeholders uh, when they're announcing these different policy changes? Yeah, perhaps. I'm, I'm not familiar with the two instances you raised. Um, you hear the challenge is typically when a ministry is preparing a news release for an announcement, uh, they, they can't uh, violate confidentiality and share what might still be a cabinet confidence in detail uh, externally, but they, they do want... Uh, to share some general information, so it's I think it's a it's a bit of a, a tricky uh, situation. But um, yeah, I would say uh, at the end of the day, that uh, pregnancy and infant loss center they attended the news conference where the director in Edmonton uh, was very happy about the bill we've brought forward to provide uh, for job protected paid leave uh, for parents experiencing a pregnancy loss. And um, I think there was some ambiguity about how broad that would be, but we've taken on board their advice. And so that shows, I think, a respectful relationship with stakeholders. Similarly, uh, Minister Copping um, has taken on the advice from Diabetes Canada to uh, uh, listen and consult more before proceeding with any further changes to uh, coverage of insulin pumps. Uh, we've been trying to expand coverage, particularly to low-income people, uh, and, low in and kids in low-income families, um, also to, to help with the new higher-tech um, uh, medical equipment to help people uh, living with diabetes. But there were some changes that uh, were not adequately subject to consultation. And so uh, when Diabetes Canada uh, brought that to our attention this week, the minister hit the pause button. So there's all, in a you know, big $65 billion government, there's always going to be some things that... Uh, uh, require you, you got to modify your course and we're not um, prideful about that we're willing to to listen and to change course when we believe it's a good thing to do that one more on the floor then we'll go to the phones go ahead sure hi uh, Jason Marks off from I guess CBC News now um, oh <coughs> yeah hi. Um, is, is, uh, okay is McLean still a thing I we can th that's probably for offline okay I would sorry, sorry. Right. <laughs> I was wondering when I saw you I didn't know so we'll, 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 we can talk um, you uh, you were quite happy with uh, the ruling from the Alberta Court of Appeal uh, this week of course that is uh, a ruling pending appeal from the Supreme Court uh, thinking more broadly of uh, your uh, your um, fair um, f f fight for fairness for what's called fair um, deal, fair you deal. think of you know there is still the federal carbon consumer carbon tax. Um, equalization is what it was in 2019. Um, you, have a per, you have a parole board hearing a few, uh, a few, few people a month. Uh, you have a firearms officer. You know, to what extent has, the, has, has bringing Ottawa to heel, or the, ability, the challenge of bringing Ottawa to heel met your expectations? Well, uh, there is no doubt that we are dealing with probably the most hostile government that Alberta's had in Ottawa in our modern history, with the possible exception of the Pierre Trudeau government in the early 80s with the national energy policy. So I've never expected that Alberta's uh, list of demands for fairness in the Federation would all be met under the Trudeau government, but that's uh, not a reason to surrender, it's a reason to fight harder. And we've tried to do this by being smart and approaching it like we have two buckets of issues. There are those where we think we can find some common ground with the feds, uh, and there are others where we're, it's just full-on, frankly, confrontation. And you, what you haven't included in your list are a lot of things that, that are not front-page stories, but like are very important. I'll give you a share some. We managed to win uh, an equivalency agreement from the feds to allow us to regulate major industrial emissions through our own program, and the industry says that that has saved our heavy industry, billions of dollars, because Alberta takes a, a much more nuanced and experienced approach to regulating oil and gas than Ottawa ever could. We also won a huge fight to get uh, control over methane regulations. And again, the industry has said that's probably saved upwards of a billion dollars, uh, a, a big deal. And we're, we are achieving uh, their goal for methane emission reduction at one-third the cost to industry. Big deal. Uh, northern woodland caribou, ca ca caribou habitat. Uh, the feds were looking at a plan 
that could have sterilized up to one-third of the economically useful land in northern Alberta and cost as much as 6% of GDP, but we got an agreement with them to let us manage that much more effectively. And again, uh, CAP and the forestry industry will tell you that was a big, big ticket item. We got some real satisfaction from the feds on the fiscal stabilization program. So we got a lifting of the cap on the program going forward, which brought about 400 million tax dollars back to Alberta. Doesn't go as far as we want, but it was, I would say, a um, partial success. And, um, and a number of other things. And of course, we're still looking at the big ticket items like potential Alberta provincial police and provincial pension plan. And there is no doubt that on these items, we don't need Ottawa's consent. We have the clear legal authority to establish our own provincial police service. We obviously would have to, if we make that decision, we'd have to uh, uh, annul, uh, pull out of the, uh, the contract that ends at 2032. Um, but there is clear legislation for us from 1964 to establish our own provincial pension plan. So I would say that we have had meaningful successes, uh, but we've also had huge frustrations. But for me, really one of the central fights is over C-69, because that's almost existential for our economy. Uh, and, and by the way, I'll just close with this. Um, the, the single most important file we have with the feds right now is TMX. And while I disagree with Justin Trudeau on a whole lot of things, I have to acknowledge that his government has remained committed to that project. We hope to see it completed in 2023. Thank you very much. Uh, my follow-up question is for Mr. Copping or, uh, and or Mr. Turnbull, whoever wants to uh, take this. Um, what is the status of the uh, search for the AHS CEO, and what sort of direction, uh, what sort of expectation will there be on the next CEO of being quite embracing of uh, this government's uh, reform agenda for the healthcare system? So thanks for the question. I'll start, and then if uh, uh, Mr. Turnbull has anything to add, he, he can do so. So the, you know, the, you know, this is a, the job of the board to be able to choose, you know, who the next CEO CEO is. Um, and my understanding that you know the uh, the choice of the uh, of uh, of you know a search firm is uh, you know it is going to be completed in a very uh, short order to be able to continue on in terms of the uh, uh, to go through that process. You know, from a from the standpoint of of the, um, the change, the transformation, you know, we've had, I've had conversations with the board, but again, it's, the, you know, their call, but it, it's really about, you know, um, you know, making the change because we, we need to transform our system. You know, the, uh, you know, I, I once again, thank Dr. Yu for her years of service and, and she brought stability over a, uh, you know, a number of years, like uh, a six year period. Um, and you may recall that prior to that, we would, we went through a number of CEOs at that period of time. So she brought stability. Uh, what we need is transformation and we need to drive that transformation uh, quickly. Uh, part of that is about the Alberta Surgical Initiative. Uh, part of that is also looking at, you know, how do we as a system be able to ensure that we can attract and retain, um, you know, a number of issues that have been raised about, you know, AHS. And I, and I just want to start saying I, I thank all the employees. They do a tremendous job and they work incredibly hard. So it's not necessarily about the employees as a system. Uh, they're doing a great, uh, doing the great job they can, the best they can. Uh, but it's how do we actually build a system um, that is, you know, innovative, um, can move through the transformation as as we look to be able to get caught up on surgeries to be flexible and so so these are the, the kind of conversations I'm having with the board but at the again you know the you know the board when it looks at you know uh, they have a mandate from the government uh, they understand that they need to uh, have uh, put in strategic plans to be able to deliver on that mandate and they need someone uh, who's going to lead AHS to also deliver on that mandate as well but you know Mr. Turnbull if you want to say a moment uh, a comment or two Just to add to Minister Copping, uh, first, uh, the, the duty of the HS board is to find the next CEO, and that's our most important role. So I can tell you we're spending a lot of time and giving a lot of thought to this. We're, we're embarking on a local, national, and international search. So we'll see exactly you know, what, what that delivers for us. I think fundamentally, though, we think Albertans should have the best health care in Canada and ideally in the world. So we're really looking at someone who's a visionary leader, who understands what we need as a province, and taking advantage of our, our um, 
provincially wide healthcare system to leverage that to, to every, every Albertan's um, uh, benefit in this province. Um, we're looking for a unicorn in some ways, and so it's going to be it's a difficult process. We're uh, just retaining our search firm. We're just now uh, going to our stakeholders to, to seek their involvement and their suggestions and their ideas of what the ideal CEO will be. And stay tuned because it's a developing process. So I think we'll, we will be back uh, at the right time with an announcement when we're, we have completed our search. So thank you. Thank you. With that, we'll go to the phones. Operator, can you please put through our first caller? Our first caller is uh, David Staples, Edmonton Journal. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my question is for the Premier. Uh, Premier, you, you set up the baseline in 2019 that we had the second highest provincial per capita cost for health care and the lowest service in ICU. Um, with these changes and with all this new spending, where do we rank now in per capita spending? And where does our ICU capacity rank? Well, we, st we would still be at the bottom end of ICU capacity with these additional uh, beds that we've opened so far. Once we get the full 50 open uh, in, by September, we will, I understand, be pretty much at par with the national average and certainly with our neighbours in British Columbia. We tend to keep a close eye on them as a, as a comparative province. Uh, so we'll at least be where, where British Columbia has been in terms of baseline ICU uh, bed capacity. In terms of overall spending, we have come down a few notches. Uh, we've, uh, we were, for the longest time, uh, either the top or the second most expensive system in the country. Our rival was typically Newfoundland. They have a very expensive system because of all the rural outport hospitals they have to staff. Um, but uh, we have uh, you know, brought in... Uh, some restraint, particularly on the uh, labor cost side. We've found other savings by contracting out uh, ancillary services like uh, food and laundry, uh, now lab services. And uh, those and other elements, so we did this uh, re performance review of Alberta Health Services that was conducted on our behalf by Ernst & Young, and we've implemented many of those recommendations. So um, those savings together... Uh, while other provinces have, have gone through much steeper labor cost increases in the past three years, means that we're now uh, more towards the middle of the pack in terms of per capita expenditures right now. Go ahead with your follow-up, David. So there's systemic issues with our healthcare system in terms of both performance, as we saw during the pandemic, and and with cost. And I think these are kind of internationally recognized that, that there's there's issues with the Canadian system costing a lot and not providing. Uh, top-notch service. In terms of models and, and looking at ways that we can go uh, based on other, the experience of other countries, you know, uh, there's always criticism if you try anything that's that hints of, a, of an American style. But are there other countries that are getting it better? Oh. You're looking at seriously uh, modeling on. Well, uh, broadly, uh, I, I think there's a well-founded consensus that the Canadian system is not getting the bang for the buck that Canadians deserve. Uh, we are, I mean, typically Canada is in the top quartile of the OECD in per capita health expenditures. But in, according to many metrics, like surgical wait times, diagnostic wait times, um, healthcare personnel, uh, and bed availability, we're in the bottom quartile of the developed world. And uh, we saw this highlighted starkly through COVID, where many U.S. states uh, had uh, two to three times more uh, ICU beds available uh, because they have that much more staff. Now, that is not to uh, say we should emulate the American system. It is, in many ways, deeply flawed, primarily because they don't have universal insurance. But the fact of the matter is that the... Um, redundancy created by competing health management organizations and hospital networks means overall they have more capacity. They also spend a heck of a lot more. They spend upwards of 19% of GDP on health. Canada is about 13%. So I don't think the, United, the American system is a, is a model for us, but I think there are a range of other systems, including in Western Europe and um, in social democracies in Scandinavia, uh, that have uh, been much more flexible in how they deliver care within the context of universal public insurance. Uh, and I, I think, it, I, I, would, I wish that the Canadian healthcare debate would be more open to looking at 
Holland, you know, Sweden, Denmark, um, France and Germany, uh, the, uh, other countries that have universal insurance. Uh, it's not the American boogeyman. Uh, it's, it's about uh, uh, using, leveraging the efficiency of the private sector when and where it makes sense to deliver more results. And that's partly what we are attempting to do through the Alberta Surgical Initiative. Uh, through a massive expansion of the number of surgical procedures that we will perform uh, in chartered facilities that are, frankly, independently owned and operated. Uh, but all of them will be publicly insured. Now, you hear the NDP uh, hollering that this represents, quotes, U.S. two-tier health care. They must know that that claim is just rubbish. It's completely disingenuous. They know that uh, the, you know, the legislation is very clear that these are publicly insured services. And they also know that they, as government, funded thousands of, of surgeries, uh, surgeries performed at chartered facilities. They also know that uh, a huge uh, portion of publicly insured Canadian health services are delivered by businesses, by, dare I say it, corporations. Almost every doctor in our system is, uh, has a legal structure as a, uh, a corporation. When you walk in to see your family physician, he, she or he is running a small business, and they are registered typically as a corporation. We contract to them as a business vendor. That's not a dirty word. Uh, and we, um, so we believe that we know, based on the experience of Saskatchewan and other jurisdictions, and indeed here in Alberta, that we can get more surgeries done more quickly by, through competitive contracting two chartered facilities, then having a government monopoly over all of the surgeries uh, in our state hospitals. So this is an important step forward uh, that moves past some of the blinkered ideology that for too long has limited meaningful health reform in Canada. Thank you, Operator. Can you please put through our next caller? The next question is from Tom Vernon, Global News. Please go ahead. Hi, Peter. Thanks for taking my question. I want to ask you about the Washington trip. Federal uh, Minister Wilkinson is also going to be uh, a witness on this panel. You two don't see eye to eye on a lot of energy policies. Are, are your offices working together to try to present a united front when you, when you appear before this committee? Well, I don't think we've coordinated messaging, but obviously there's some logistical coordination. Um, I, I very much hope that uh, Minister Wilkinson understands that Americans want and need more Canadian energy, and we don't need to be apologetic about that. Uh, we don't need to be the caricature of the uh, apologetic Canadian. Uh, we should be loud and proud about the fact that we are the source of 60% of U.S. oil imports, and we have the third largest oil reserves on Earth. The Americans desperately need more energy, and the answer is Canada. I hope that's the message from Ottawa. It sure as heck will be from Alberta. And we are the owners of the resource. So I'll be making that clear, that we own the resource. Uh, we develop it. We regulate it. Uh, and 77% of Americans said they wanted Keystone XL. Um, that's as close as you get to unanimity in a big democracy like the USA. So I think we'll be speaking. I'm, I know there will be, a, a, I'm sure, a couple of senators who uh, are, are not friendly to tradi the traditional energy industry. But they know that their constituents need uh, to, to affordable energy, uh, even while uh, in the, pure, in the uh, era of an energy transition. So I'm at, our message will be very clear. I was at an event in Sierra Week in Houston with Minister Wilkinson a couple of months ago, and there was only really one topic that people were focused on, which was how to replace the uh, 7 million barrels a day exported by Putin's Russia. And people were focused on what Canada could do. But I, I was at an event where Minister Wilkinson stood up and basically didn't even mention uh, Canadian energy oil production or exports. And it was like he was addressing a, a pre-Ukraine invasion crowd. So I hope the federal government has been mugged by reality along with the rest of the world following the invasion of Ukraine and speaks to the new geopolitical reality around energy. Go ahead with your follow-up, Tom. A completely different topic. I'm sure you've heard all the talk. There's a number of people floating the idea out there that there could be a snap election this September to the results of the leadership review. Do you commit to holding an election if you uh, 
survive the leadership review on schedule next spring? Yes. Or is it, is it an early election an option? No, I, I commit to the legislative election date in late May of 2023, unequivocally, period, full stop. Uh, that kind of speculation is, I, I don't know, I, I think that sometimes um, political hacks entertain themselves by inventing rumors like that. I have never heard anybody in my, uh, in the, UCP discussed that as even a, a, an option. We passed just this year legislation to establish not just a... We used to have an Alberta fixed election period, which was within three months, but we thought that was still subject to um, manipulation by an incumbent government, and as part of our broad democratic reform agenda, we committed to a specific date. Uh, we passed that into law. That's when the next election will be, uh, period, full stop. I have given zero consideration to uh, a, quote, snap election. I think it would be dumb. Um, it would break a promise, but it would also, uh, you know, we're, we're, <laughs> we're cooking with gas here in terms of Alberta's economic recovery. Uh, and I, I want to keep our eye on the ball. We've delivered on about 88% of the commitments we gave Albertans in the last election. I want to get that close to 100%. Um, so I'll be able to look Albertans in the eyes in May of 2023 and say that we did what we said we would do. Thank you. We have time for one more question. Operator, can you please put through our final caller? Uh, the final question is from Chris Barco, Calgary Herald. Please go ahead. Hi, this is a question for the Premier. Premier, just regarding your trip down to Washington next week and your appearance before the uh, Senate Committee on Natural Resources and Energy, will you, be, will you propose or do you have any specific recommendations for uh, U.S. Senators on what you would like to see, what you want to see from the United States to increase the energy relationship between the two countries, whether it's regarding Line 5, yep. a successor to the Houston Excel project, or even regarding the outstanding NASA claim that Alberta has on KXL's cancellation. So I'll be raising all of the above. Uh, at the very least, we would like, and I'll be raising this, we want to see the American administration get off the fence and support U.S. energy security and their own consumers by supporting uh, the legal uh, efforts of Canada and Alberta. Uh, to uh, defend the um, Line 5 and the Bilateral Pipeline Treaty against Governor Whitmer's uh, illegal efforts uh, to shut down that pipeline. That would impede the flow of 640,000 barrels a day of reliably produced Canadian energy uh, to her state and the upper Midwest. It would make a energy inflation crisis in the U.S. even worse. So uh, I, I will be encouraging congressional leaders to in turn encourage the administration to actually speak up for American consumers and our bilateral relationship on that issue. And I will be inviting creative discussions about how we can get another major pipeline built between the two countries. Um, we know that in the current pipeline system, there's a couple hundred thousand barrels of current uh, flex. We also know that through optimization, the industry, the midstream industry, could be able to add probably two to four hundred thousand additional barrels, and we also know that the Trans Mountain expansion, when complete, will um, likely be selling over half a million barrels um, down the west coast to refineries in in Washington and California. So I'll be sharing with them that that those numbers, so they understand that that we can uh, increase net Canadian shipments to the U.S. by several hundred thousand barrels a day, but we could do even more. And what I'll be saying is that, uh, you know, if we got the policy right, and if the political will was there, we could completely displace OPEC imports from the United States. So I want to give them a scale of ambition about what's possible if the political will were there. And, uh, and yeah, I suppose I, I, I may also mention the fact that we do have this, um, this claim for damages against the administration under NAFTA. Go ahead with your follow-up, Chris. You mentioned that you're going to share the progress that the oil sands is making and the plan for net zero by 2050. Uh, is Alberta, is your government going to release its own updated climate strategy this year, and will it include a target for net zero by 2050 within that? Well, we have already, in our throne speech of 2020, we articulated our commitment to work with the oil sands producers to help them achieve their net zero, zero 2050 uh, goal. So we've already stated that as a matter of formal policy. And uh, we, we already have a 
uh, a credible climate policy that involves our tier program, our significant investments in um, in CCUS and other technologies. Uh, and Minister Nixon will have more to say about all of this in due course. Uh, but Alberta is a strong supporter of efforts to reduce substantially reduce carbon emissions, realizing that that's not going to happen overnight. Uh, I note that since our government brought in an energy-only market and re removed subsidies for renewable power production, we have seen Alberta become the single largest uh, place of investment for new uh, renewable energy. So Alberta is leading on many fronts, uh, inc increasingly on green tech, and here's the great news. Most of that's happening through the, just the initiative of the private sector. We're there to create the best conditions for it. Thanks, everyone. That concludes our press conference. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, uh, Dr. Viner. And by the way, uh, I should, I don't know if I'm still on air. I meant to start by saying that, there's uh, one last point. Alberta uh, is looking forward to welcoming His Holiness Pope Francis uh, to Alberta in July of this year. He'll be visiting the Edmonton area and uh, on what he calls his pilgrimage of reconciliation and healing. Uh, and uh, we received a formal notice yesterday uh, from uh, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, but we've been working with them uh, for the past uh, several weeks on ensuring that that will be a successful visit and certainly very important to uh, Indigenous people across Alberta. We're very much looking forward to that. And I just wanted to also say thank you to Dr. D'Souza, who I understand uh, is wrapping up his last day after many years of service, thank you to you, sir, and all of the medical staff that do such great work here at the Rocky View.